This morning we're reading out of 1 John 2.28 through 3.10, and it's on page 960 in the Bibles under your chairs. All right. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who, is practicing, who practices righteousness has been born in him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will has... What we will has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, is, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name's Casey. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Free City. And uh, if you are with us for the first time, you've come on a great morning. Um, We get to celebrate baptisms this morning. Uh, which is a sign of confidence uh, that the, the gospel is working. Um, you know, and that's, that's what we, that's what we, that's kind of our business. That's what we do. You know, we, we exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the power of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so on every level, we want to express hope in, in what God has promised to do and what he has done. And then even in this text, what we see is what he's going to do. In this text, um, John wants us to know something. He wants us to know something that that we already really, really know. He wants to know that what we expect uh, affects the the, the way we live. Like our expectations, our our anticipations, our confidence, the things that we put hope in, they they affect our, our behavior. They affect what we do in preparation of that thing or of that event. And we know this to be true. You know, I mean, your parents sent you to college to get education. You came to have fun. And those differing expectations have strong pressures upon current behavior. Or you you thought you were just getting coffee and and they thought it was a date and wanted to change their Facebook status. Like, Like the expectations of that affects behavior and maybe your Facebook status. Or... Like in weddings, like I don't know if you know this, there are strong expectations in weddings, like it is for real. Like the expectations that you might see in a wedding are like, first off, you need to know everyone at your wedding is judging what you did at your wedding. 
They're, they're, you can see the nudges in the audience because they're either saying Mars was better or we will do it better or we can't afford that. I mean, everything. I mean, the expectations affect everything. I mean, if you think about it, like think about the way people dress at weddings. Like you have white silk, a white silk train that drags on the floor. You have cummerbunds, impractical, 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 but expectations drive you to do it. Or, I mean, think about how it affects kids. I mean, cute kids are shoved into dresses and boxy suits and forced to carry fake rings because, hey, that's like the price of a car. We can't let them really carry that. Or they have to drop pedals. But this is the thing. They can get away with anything. I've seen kids no-show. I've seen them sprint down the aisle. I've seen them drop zero pedals. I've seen them drop one pedal pile. Happy pedal pile. Because the expectations work for them. They're just there to be cute, you know? Expectations affect current behavior. You know, there's also um, sometimes moms of the bride or the groom, sometimes they have expectations for the wedding. And if you have two moms that have strong expectations for the wedding, it also affects current behavior. It's called eloping. <laughs> expectations affect current behavior. This is what John is trying to tell us. What you believe to be true, what you confidently look to, what you hope in, what you contemplatively hope for will affect your daily doings. I mean, John, he tells us several things in this text that we're going to try to unpack. Several things in this text that if we focus on and if we really, really believe and if we like put our, point our eyes to, it will grow in our heart. It will change you. If you know what you have, what Jesus has done, what he has promised to do, what he is doing for you now, John says, it'll change you. He says that as plain as he can, it will change you. And so when we look at this, like, let's just look at an overview of the text real fast. You know, just an overview of the text. Look down at the text. What you're going to see is you're going to see a lot of expectant language, but you're going to see it in kind of two different categories. You're going to see a lot of family language, familial, and then you're going to see a lot of volitional language, choice. And so look at the, in the first part, this family language. Like, look at these phrases. Verse 28, little children. Verse 29, born of him. And then we see born of God twice in verse 9, if you jump down. And then it says in verse 1, uh, verse 1, 2, and 10, we see children of God. But we also see children of the devil in verse 10. John is trying to tell us that this is family business. And in the same way that you take on the characteristics of your family, of whom you live with, that if you are in the family of God, you will start to take on his characteristics. It's a family business. It also, look at this, we, we see this, we see volitional language. Like, look at, uh, look at verse 4. Actually, verse 4 and verse 9. You see this, practice of sinning. You know, it goes on in verse 6, you see, keeps on sinning. And then it appears in, in the negative in verse 9 where it says, cannot keep on sinning. 
And then we see in verse 10, if you jump down just a little bit, it says, does not practice righteousness. Like John is telling us that there, there's a growing direction of your character that is witnessed in the present doings of your life, in your behavior. And it's all about what you're anticipating. It's all about what you're looking to. It's all about the expectations of what will give joy, pleasure, certainty, and safety. He says, the anticipations of your life, the expectations of your life, the things that you confidently hope for, those affect your daily doings. You know, we also see, um, we see a lot of sin language here. In, in verses 4 through 10, the word sin appears 10 times. And it's always in the present tense, the idea of what you're doing now. And he says, your relationship with that, or your view of that, or the way you feel about that, is an indicator of the way you feel about Jesus. It might even be an indicator of what family line you find yourself in, the family of God or the family of the devil. And so when we look at this, we don't want to miss that it also has a ton of expectant language. Look in verse 28. It's talking about his appearing. It says, you can have confidence so that you have confidence. Or or look at verse 3 of of chapter 3. It says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so that word hope, like we need to wrestle with that a little bit. Because the way we use hope is more like, man, wishful thinking. Like I hope. That she says yes when I propose. You see, back you know, earlier, like people now kind of walk with a swagger in, into proposals. Back earlier, it was a private thing. Like I got, I got engaged in a dark courtyard with no witnesses because I was like swinging for the fence. I didn't know how it was going to go, you know. But now people like walk with a swagger where they got like family lying in the bushes and hiding all around. And I'm like, what if she says no? Like what is the family? Like, wow, I mean... Better luck next time. I, I don't know. But when the New Testament, when it uses the term hope, it uses it in a sense of confident expectation based on God's unwavering, always coming true promises because of Jesus. It's not wishful thinking. It's saying something that is certain in the future that you can bet on. And there's times where you're not going to feel like you can bet on it, but you can bet on it because it is certain. It's talking about a confidence, a confident, hopeful expectation of what is to come. You know, we see that if in Hebrews 6, verse 19, listen to this. This is how it kind of unpacks it so we get the feel of it. It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. And so that's how it, it relates that word hope. That it is a sure and steadfast anchor, something that holds you in place. Like there might be a little bit of drift on the anchor where the winds move you around, but you're not leaving the area of faith because of a hope. You know, what John is trying to really draw in this section is he says because of Jesus' death upon a cross, it was more than enough 
It makes you pure in your status with God, but it will also make you pure in your standing in this world. Or to say it another way, the power of the gospel is more than enough to make you absolutely pure in your position in God's family. But now Jesus wants to make you, your practices in this life reflect him. And so what we have the difference of justification and sanctification. Justification changed you forever in your status and position with God. But this is what we now are in the process of. That God wants to change you in your presence in this world. And in your standing, in your status or standing among this world. He wants to make you ready for the new kingdom. Because if he doesn't get you more ready, you're not going to fit in just yet. He's trying to build the kind of person that's ready for the kingdom of God that has this some sort of presence, this unanxious presence as they confidently look toward the future of what God has said he will do. This is what John is doing. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to point out four, and really it's um, seven, but four confident things that he says we can put our hope in. And I'll just tell them to you now and you can write them down and look at them later and then just listen. Like the first thing, he's going to talk about being born of God. Then he's going to look, talk about God's seed in you. These are confident expectations that you can hope in. And then he's going to talk about growth in practice, like an assurance that you can grow in practicing. And then we're going to look at what is to come. And we have three real fast headings on that. But let me pray for us, and we're going to hope, hop in. Um, Jesus, Lord, we want to put more confidence in you. Lord, we, we, are, we are blown away by the confidence that the New Testament writers had, that they were convinced that nothing could separate them from the love of God, nothing inside of themselves or outside of them, nothing of this world or of the other world. They were confident. Lord, they were confident that even they couldn't separate them from the love of God because your love pursues. Jesus, we need more confidence. And you have given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guarantee what is to come. Lord, we ask that you would move in our will and there would be more confidence to join with the work of the Spirit that is at work in our lives. And Father, for those who are unsure about Jesus... I pray you give us the grace of just what's true, exposing what we put our confidence in as thin, as oblique. Jesus, we need help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first thing we want to look at is born of God. And one way we can say it is you um, have confident and expectant hope because you were born into the family of God. Look at verse 28. It says, And now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence. And so he's, he's saying that there can be an expectant hope, a confident thing that can sustain you and not shrink from him in the shame of his coming. Now, this is really pointing to what we're going to get in, in chapter 3 with the, the language of what we practice, the daily practice of our lives, kind of showing evidence of where we stand, of where we are. But it also is going to point to what we see, three words that we see in verse 29. Born of him. 
You know, it repeats it twice other later in chapter 3, born of God. And so, so much is placed on this where he says, listen, if you have been born into the kingdom of God, you can have great confidence. Like, look at verse 29. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God. Like this language, like when you are born into a family, you get so much in that family. And I, I know that that's not all of our experiences in, in this world. I, I know that they're, they're, families are not created equally, but I want to talk about the family of God for a little bit. Like, when you are born into the family of God, you need to know that the family of God has anticipated your coming and celebrates your arrival. I know that may be different than your family on earth. I know that kids are born and sometimes they're seen as burdens or unwanted liabilities. And their arrival is seen as something not to be celebrated. That is not so in the family of God. And it should not be so in this earth. You know, I have four kids, and we had four kids in under five years. Like, we kind of got in this groove and just kept going with it. And they were all, I mean, they were all born differently. I mean, they were all born the same. I mean, same general mechanics. But uh, they were all born, like, differently. Like, if I think of Quinn... Quinn, like, came slow and relaxed. I mean, not when we were actually birthing. I say we, I was there. Not when we were actually birthing, but slow and relaxed. I remember Kinsey woke me up early in the early morning, and she's, like, holding her baby belly, and she's like, our baby's coming. I jumped out of bed. Like, I, we didn't pack the bags. We got to hurry. You know, I mean, I was frantic, and she goes, I think I might take a shower. And I was like, huh, okay. And so, like, I crawled back in bed all kind of confused. We kind of drove, like, you know, kind of like just normal people, like, hey, you want some coffee? You know what I mean? We just drove like casually, you know, casually to the hospital, kind of walked in, you know, high-fiving people on the way in. I think we're going to have a baby. And so we go there, and we did. We had a baby. I mean, it was kind of this like, kind of like, okay, okay, here we are. Now, Anna, our, our fourth, she came altogether differently. Like, it was crazy, fast, and frantic, like, we were uh, next door at our friend's Dan's house, and we, we were having dinner. And kind of toward the end of dinner, Kenzie's like, hey, I think, I think we need to go. And I just thought, we have three kids that need to get in bed. And so I was like, oh, yeah, 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 we'll go. And I wasn't in a hurry because I thought, we need to go to get our kids to bed. And then she saw I wasn't really rushing, and she kind of gave me, we need to go. And so then it was the same words but different tone. And so, like, kids were put in a headlock and drug over, thrown into bed. We called Sky, and Sky was like at our house like jimmy john fast like freaky fast no no sandwiches i mean it was crazy how fast we were so we get into my truck and we start driving east and now we had to decide are we going to overland park like we planned because that's where we started you know our, our baby stuff because that's right we'd only been here for like a month is so are we going there like we planned or are we going to lmh because that's as far as we can go and so kinsey is she's like crawling up the roof of my truck like like you see on the exorcist um i mean and she's like crawling up she's like let's go to lmh and i'm like hey you're gonna need to put your seatbelt on and she's like i can't and i'm like we're gonna have to just calm down here and so she didn't put her seatbelt on we get there 
we pull up, we like rush in, and they kind of hand Kenzie a clipboard. What are you here for? I'm having a baby. And she's little, and so they're kind of like, yeah, sure, you're having a baby. And so she's like, well, fill that clipboard out. And she like can't sit down. And then suddenly, so do you have any other kids? And she's like, yeah, I have three. They take the clipboard, and they throw it to me, and they whisk her away. And I'm like, um, I'll fill it out. It's not multiple choice, you know. And so I just, I finally get catch up. And we're in the labor delivery room. And the nurse, they're trying to get a doctor there. And the nurse is like, hey, don't push. And she says, I want to push. And I'm like, you better not. The professional just said. And I mean, in minutes, we had a baby. You know, one was kind of slow and relaxed in getting there. One was fast and frantic. But they, they all were celebrated. They all were celebrated. Like that, there's things that came into their lives instantly, whether they know it. And so actually look at verse one. It tells us to contemplate this. Like John says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. He's telling us, contemplate all that you have because you were born into this family. And so all that's there, a celebrated arrival. My kids were born into our family with great celebration. They were loved because they were born into our family. They did nothing to earn it. But when they were born, it was bestowed upon them. The other thing, like instant rights. They instantly, as my kids, had the right to call upon us for anything at any time. They didn't build relation, like relational equity to have that right. It was bestowed upon them because they were born. An intimate connection. Their needs are now my needs. Their hurt I feel. There's struggles and losses I want to step into. They didn't earn it with a track record. They were born into it. You know, and then the, the, the crazy thing that we do as, as parents, like we celebrate every little menial step as though it is like an Olympic event that is won. You know, the first steps happen and you pull out phones to videotape it and you count every step in a row. You didn't count the thousands and thousands of missteps that didn't work out. Children of God, a confident expectation of all that brings. If you're a Christian, you were born into that. And everything that comes with that is yours because of the work of Jesus making you born into the family of God. He was the only true son of God that never failed. And he gave that up to divide it up among us that we could have the confidence of everything that comes with that. Born of God. And I know this is hard. Because some messages you get about your earthly birth <coughs> is more like irritation and annoyance. Maybe a death to a desired life by your parents. Shouldn't be so. Sorry about that. <clears throat> you know, have you ever contemplated the message of the gospel in birth? 
I just think about this, the message of the gospel and birth, like we could think about it like creation, fall, and redemption in that, in that progress, in that procession. And so first, like, like the doctrine of creation, a woman's womb makes room for new life, like the Trinitarian God made room for us. I mean, it's unbelievable. Made room for us. Or, or the doctrine of the fall. You know, we come with great neediness. A baby comes with neediness and dependent completely upon the other for survival and affection. We come into the family of God with great neediness. Or think about the doctrine of redemption. The message of life is a woman saying, my life for yours. Which we would be um, remiss not to say the message of abortion is to say your life for mine. So much comes, so much comes with this incredible thing, born of God, confidence. And it means this and so much more. You know, the next thing, like the contemplation that you would have, the, the reflection that you would want to ask is, man, has there, have I given my life to Jesus? I mean, the, the process of being born, there's a big heavenly process that you don't get to see. You experience some of it, of all that God did to make that happen. But what happens is there's a moment when you are aware that your sin is a problem and you don't have the solutions for it. And you look to Jesus as a historical person who lived and died and rose again. And you say, That's enough for me. I'm putting my hope and my treasure in Jesus. That's the process that we have. Born of God. The next, look at verse 9. I know we're jumping around a little bit. It says this, No one born of God, we see it again, makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed, and that's the next phrase, God's seed is in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. And so this God's seed, it's like we can have a confident and expectant hope because God has planted his unstoppable life force in you. You know, John, when he calls it a seed, he wants us to think about about what that means. Like a seed grows what it is molecularly programmed to grow. It can grow nothing else. And this seed has the imprinted nature of God that's supposed to grow in you. It's its arrival is the beginning of a deep, radical, inward transformation that you've experienced to some degree. I mean, it's felt, it's known, it's usually known in the idea of new desires. But it is the imprinted nature of God, and it exerts strong internal pressures toward holiness and change. Like right where it's talked about, it says those who have this seed can't keep on sinning, which we're going to look at that in just a second, what what that means and what it doesn't mean. But it is this strong push that says, man, God is changing you from the inside out. It is less like self-help that curbs your behaviors and much more like a heavenly mutation that changes your DNA. You know, for some of us, and when we experience the testimonies, baptism, you're going to hear things like, man, I started to hang around these Christians or I started to come. And there was a time of my life I cared nothing about what Jesus thought or what he taught. But there was a season that changed my life. And now he weighs in on all of my decisions. 
that is a divine nature of God implanted in you to resurrect your humanity to what it was always meant to be. God's seed. Listen to how the the Bible likes to describe other places. And so 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, as if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Or or 1 Peter 1, in verses 3-4, through it says, His divine power, God's nature, God's seed in us, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His glorious excellence, by which He has granted us His precious and very great promises, that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Like, like, look at those phrases. New creature. The old has passed, the new has come. A divine power in us. A divine nature. Escaping the corruption of sinful desires. The gospel is about God putting something in you that cannot be stopped and it will start to come out of you. It's about changing you from the inside. And so John says, this incredible seed of God planted in you, it can only grow what it is programmed to do, what it is. It can only grow you toward godliness, toward holiness. Which brings us to like, the difficult part of this passage. Why do I keep messing up? And so there's some things we really want to like focus on here. And so like this is kind of under the practice, you know, section, you know. And so in verses four through nine, and we're going to jump to some phrases and just kind of try to unpack it. But in verses four through nine, it's telling us that we can have a confident and expectant hope because of the growing practices that we see in our life, the growing daily doings in our life, that this being born of God into the family of God, having the divine nature of God implanted us through this God seed, through the Holy Spirit, that's a deposit guaranteeing what's to come as it grows it will start to come out. And so what helps us here, because at first appearance, like we see in the ESV, it's talking about practicing sin and continuing sin. And what it's doing, it's working really hard to make sure you see this in the present tense. What are the daily doings of your life, the daily habits of your life? And so the, the, the context of this sin is important and the syntax of this sin is important and so the context behind first john is a false teaching and we've talked about several times that they claim you could have fellowship with god you could be cool with god god loved you and didn't want to change anything about you based on this like enlightened idea and has nothing to do with like daily sinfulness Now be careful, I'm not saying that you being good makes God love you and then you can get saved. I'm saying the divine nature of God placed in you will change you. And this teaching was saying, no, 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 don't worry about it. Like We're just, God and I are cool. You can do just whatever up. Your body is like an envelope for your soul in the same way that when they pull the letter out, you throw the envelope away. It doesn't matter what you do. And like we don't use that language but us too. 
Like us too. Like this is alive today. Like we have this mantra of, of don't judge me. I'm cool with God. I know that he's fine. And we leverage our particular sin of choice with the encompassing blanket of everyone's a sinner or with the disgusting sin you see over there. And so like we don't fight sin. You know, it's not just the context. The context is not far from us. We also see this in the syntax of sin in 1 John. The syntax in 1 John is he's warning us of habitual, unrepentant sin. Look in verses 4 through 9. Just look at these words. We see practice of sinning. You see that? We see keats on sinning. We see the opposite, practicing righteousness or refusing to practice righteousness. Like the ESV uses practice and continue to try to really emphasize this in the present tense, that that aspect of these verbs. Practicing sin is habitual sin that I refuse to put to death. It's habitual sin that I am just fine with walking with it hand in hand. It is the area of my life that I don't want to let the light of Jesus into because I don't want him to expose the ugliness of it because I have an alliance with it and I feel like I need it. It exists in attitudes of bitterness that demand others to see you as a victim and you always kind of like, oh man, you just misunderstand. It exists in harshness and self-righteousness toward others who struggle with sin differently than yours. It exists in relationships that cross sexual boundaries intended only for marriage. It exists in alliances that you have made with lust or pornography. It exists in these rooms in our lives that we say, no, no, Jesus, not there. And what he's saying is like, if we look at our lives and we just see like regular sin being practiced with no remorse or no change or no growth, he's saying, you might find you're in the wrong family. But if you see a desire to put something to death... And there's inconsistency in the Christian life. And we all have things that we're more prone to fall into. But it's through confession and repentance. Through coming to a table like where you say, this is a problem in my life and I need your help. And there's a table filled with grace in front of you. But yet there's a table that refuses to let you live with it. If you now battle against sin and sometimes you lose, that is strong evidence For the work of God, the seed of God, the divine nature of God alive in you, pressing out of you. And I would say pray more, work harder, confess more deeply. You know, right now, this this always happens. I mean, you have this moment where like something kind of convicts and the room gets quiet and you're like, oh man, I can't move or people are going to look at me. Everyone's feeling do you have the courage to bring that to light? See, that courage is a divine thing that God puts in us. He sinned from the very beginning, made us run and hide and cover. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that you can hold it in the light and the light will transform it. 
you know, I, I would be um, wrong if I didn't make this push. You see, you know, I mentioned um, lust and pornography. And I mean, we just live in a day and age where, you know, people grow up with a smartphone in their hand. And um, it's not that just like lust and pornography is, is readily available. It's looking for you. You know, and, and so we, uh, we have two different classes. One's about to start. We have two classes for guys. Um, and one is about to start on Monday nights. And it's specifically about sexual wholeness. And, and that does have a capacity that we need to cut it off. But we'll, we'll start one again next semester. Um, but, like, if that's you, like, man, you need to get online, go to the events page or website. You need to get signed up. It's time to understand how brothers can band arms together and can fight for one another. Like your fight is not alone. Not in the sense that you're the only one fighting. Your fight is not alone in the sense that I need you to fight. Marriages are wrecked. There, there's another class, and it's, it's going to deal with those things too. It, it just started on Saturday, but there's still some room for it. And so it's uh, Saturday mornings early. You can also get on the event page and find it. And it's more general about what biblical manhood is. And uh, those are available that we can band arms with brothers and say, you matter, your fight matters, I'm not going to let you go quiet in the night. We also have a study that just started recently, and we can get, still get you in, for ladies who are fighting for sexual wholeness and purity also. I believe it meets on Tuesdays. You can also find it on the webpage and on the events page. And so these are ways that we battle with this to say, I am going to practice righteousness. I refuse to practice sin. You know, in the more general ways, we do this in, in city groups where we show our neediness. And we do this in life transformation groups where we have one, you know, it's like two or three guys or two or three girls who come together to confess sin and to read the scriptures and to get whatever help they need, whatever we need, that we would live openly in community, that I would hold you accountable to filling your heart with the scriptures. You are prone to forget and you need to be reminded of the scriptures regularly. Because we have these great, incredible, confident hopes that John is telling us about. And when we don't remind ourselves regularly, we start to forget. And so th- those are opportunities. Like, it, it just, you know, John's already told us how to deal with sin. In, in 1 John 1 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the way that we battle is we just bring it to light, to light of Jesus. We need to actually just speak it. Jesus, this is a problem for me. And we need accountability from one another, from the body, uh, from the church body. This is a problem for me. You know, an expectant, confident hope that in the divine life placed in you at the time of your second birth and a growing practice of life in the light with in light with a diminishing practice and loving of the darkness these are strong encouragements for your standing with God like it's strong encouragement just to say this man this is where i am this is how i'm struggling now gosh man 3 years ago what that struggle look like gosh what could it look like in 3 more years If I battle every day, what could it look like? And it's this idea of the present tense of my doings creating a heavenly character that is making me ready for the new 
coming kingdom of God. I want to quickly show you three more confident and expectant hopes that explain the gospel clearly. And they can all fall under this kind of what is to come. And we're going to focus on, on, on two verses, verse 2 and verse 8. And so what, what is to come? Like we have a confident and expectant hope because what is to come? And that is the complete undoing of sin. The complete and utter destruction of all evil. And Jesus coming back. Like that, let's look at that in reverse. So look at verse 2, the second half of verse 2. It says, but we know. That when he appears, when Jesus comes again, when he comes back, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And so he says, this is a confident hope that you have, a confident, expected hope that Jesus will come back. You have not been orphaned. You have not been abandoned. And he will come back in victorious triumph. He will come back with power to establish the kingdom of God here and in heaven. I don't know exactly what that means. I just know it means that what we do here then matters. I just know that the vocation that you choose, like you can do that with a hope for the kingdom of God coming. It matters. He's making all things new. That means he's resurrecting all things. It matters. He's coming. You know, but it's not just that he's coming, it's what he's going to do. Look, look at, jump down to verse 8. In the middle of verse 8, it says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And then it says this, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The word appeared here, it's in the past tense, meaning about his first coming, about his first birth, about his incarnation, and about the death on the cross, and about the resurrection. He appeared, he was there, and he's appearing again. And why? To destroy all evil. This is saying you can have confident, expectant hope that Jesus will destroy all that is wrong. Our city group had a, um, uh, a bonfire. And so on the way to um, the Gallagher's house, we were driving. And Kinsey read this ESPN article because she reads all of them. Um, and uh, it was about DeAndre Hopkins, wide receiver uh, for, the, for the Texans. And so she's like crying over there. I'm like, what are you reading? And she's like, man, DeAndre, his life is what horror movies are made out of. And so she starts to read and explain like all these horrible tragedies that he was born into, that he endured. And like it was horrible. Like we're both driving and crying. And like our kids are like, what is wrong? And I mean, but like we're just sad and mad about the evil in this world. Like we're sad and mad about the evil that exists in this world. And the second coming of Jesus and the truth of the gospel is the promise of this right here. That he will destroy all of the works. The decisive blow has already happened. We have already won. Our position is already set. The kingdom of God will come. 
we live in between and there's still skirmishes and there's still are fights to be had and there still are people who need the gospel who need to know that they can be children of God. But confident hope, it won't always be like this. You know, earlier when it was talking to young men, you know, when it said, hey, children, fathers, young men, it says, you can defeat the devil because of the word of God planted in you. This is saying the same thing because of God's divine nature planted in you. All evil will one day be destroyed. It's also saying confident, expectant hope that Jesus will conquer and destroy all that is wrong within me. Jump back to verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Christian, what you will be, it hasn't yet appeared. The lack of the struggle or the confidence that you have will one day be gone. The temptation to evil or to darkness will one day be no more. The difficulty that you have in this life to understand or to comprehend or to trust will one day be completely gone. The beauty that you already possess will be magnified and will be so much more full. May I listen I mean, fairly regularly. I've listened to it several times. Um, A uh, funeral service preached by E.V. Hill. E.V. Hill, now deceased, is a great African-American preacher who preached his wife, Baby. Preached her funeral. Uh, Baby, she um, lost a battle to cancer. And before she died, she asked E.V., she said, You're not only my husband, you're also my pastor. And so it's going to be a battle, right? And so she was like... I need you to preach my funeral. And so he said, yes. And in preaching the funeral, man, you see this description of baby and the strength and the courage and the beauty that she had. You know, so one time during the civil rights fight, she was just convinced. She woke up early and she was convinced someone has put a bomb in my husband's car and I need to make sure it's safe. So she goes, starts the car early in the morning and drives it around the block. He wakes up, doesn't find her, wonder where she is. She pulls up and she says, I was just convinced that you were going to die because there was a bomb in the car. I had to make sure you were okay. There was a time that in, in, in that, like they, um, he gets home and the, the apartment um, was all dark. And uh, he says, what is the meaning of this? And she says, uh, she just wanted to have a romantic dinner, and so she had candle lights all over, and dinner was ready. But he goes into the bathroom, he tries to turn on the lights, and the lights don't work. So he goes in the next room, he tries to turn on the lights, and they don't work. And he comes in, and he says, baby, have, did our power get cut off because we were behind on our bill? And she starts crying, and she says, you've been working so hard, and what you're doing is so important. I just didn't want you to be discouraged. You know, she could have used that moment to be like, man, get with it. Why did you pick ministry? There's other things. Maybe you can make more money. She could have used the moment to destroy him, but she used his moments. He described so many to build up. She, he painted this beautiful picture of his wife. And all along the way, he was using 1 Corinthians 15 as his text. And as he's walking in, uh, to her death, he's describing the moment in the hospital where he goes into chapel and he's just praying, he's arguing with God. 
And he gets this promise from God and it just feels like the beauty that she has, you, you won't even believe what you'll see. Just wait. And, and he interpreted that as God was going to heal her because God had healed her miraculously before, but that's not what happened. She died. And in unpacking the text, he gets to 1 Corinthians 15 and it's this, wait till you see her now. And this is what he writes. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says this. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. Do you see that same language? The seed. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, as we are. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Do you see that language? Family of God, family of the devil. Verse 49. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also be born the image of the man of heaven. You see that language? Born of God. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, And we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on the imperishable. And the mortal body must put on the immortal. Where the perishable puts on the imperishable. And the mortal puts on the immortal. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? There is great, confident hope that Jesus will not be done with you until you are made like him in his likeness, reflecting his nature, suitable for the kingdom of God. And there is a moment in this life that we wrestle in the moment of practicing. But even when we come to days that we fail, Because you were born into the family of God and you are now a child of God, you're always invited to his table. Always. The art of meals together in some areas have been lost. May it never be so for the church because it will never be so for the kingdom of God.
And so standing in between, communion points backwards and it puts forward. It points backwards because you remember how we got into the family of God. We got in because of his broken body and we got in because of his spilt blood. That's why when we walk to, and I know it's chaotic, which is actually great because life can be chaotic. We walk forward to remember that his body was broken for us. His blood was shed. The way we take communion is we we start on the bread side and we tear a piece of bread off and we dip it in either the wine or the grape juice. On this side, the wine is in the stoneware and the grape juice is in the glassware because we haven't broken those cups yet. On this side, the wine is in the small glass and the grape juice is in the big glass. We will eventually break those glasses. But we come because it's a family. If you trust and treasure in Jesus, you're part of the family of God and you're invited. And we come, just like food strengthens, we come to be strengthened with a reminder that what God has put in you, the divine nature, it will grow. Exercise it. In the same way that food nourishes the body, so the word of God nourishes our soul. I hope you have more confidence. Let me pray for us. Jesus, um, Lord, we come and we come from a variety of different weeks. Weeks where some walk with more victory and weeks where some walk with more defeat. But Lord, because of what you've done, we can step to the table of God. We can come to the family table. We come empty-handed. We don't bring anything that's on the table. We come with just what we have. And Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen. Lord, I pray that we would not bow down to the practice, habitual sin of our life, but we would find a grit. You are a child of God. You have been implanted his divine nature. Sin and Satan cannot push you around any longer. Fight. Fight, fight, but always rest in the confidence of this because you were born into the family of God and because he's coming back and because he's promised to undo all that is wrong in this world and he's promised to undo all that is wrong in you because of these great and miraculous promises, you can be victorious. God, we need you and we love you. I pray that as we come Um, you would give us the proper movement. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.